Thank you, Lord. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. I pray you'd come and release revelation to us this morning. Oh, open our hearts to understanding and truth and light. God, I ask that you would allow the word to bear down upon our soul. Let the word come with weight and conviction. Let it bear down upon us that we might align ourselves with the truth of Scripture over every other influence in our lives. Know how we love you, Jesus. You're so kind. You've been so good. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, turn with me in your Bible to Romans chapter 5. We're going to continue on in the series we've been. I think we're on our sixth part, Glory in Tribulations. And we are uh, this morning actually on that phrase, Glory in Tribulations. We've gone phrase by phrase through this, uh, these first five verses. I think we'll do this morning and then... Um, next week and we'll see if we go any further than that i'll just be honest with you on the front end this morning i've probably got well not probably i've got a lot more to say than we've got time to cover and so uh i'm just going to trust the holy spirit to uh have me say what's necessary what's relevant what's important but these themes are so rich and there's so many vital truths uh, as, we, as we're investigating uh, what Paul is saying to the church at Rome and, to, and to, really to believers, they're so vital, it's hard to, to leave any piece of it out. But um, I know I've been challenged the last several weeks as I've, as I've continued to study and pray and proclaim these things. And I know that this morning is going to be no different. So I just ask you to listen with an open heart, hear what the Spirit would be saying. Uh, even as I'm saying whatever I'm saying with my weak words, that the Holy Spirit would continue to instruct your hearts. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and read through our verses again. In Romans 5, 1 through 3, let's look at those. It says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And then it goes on. And perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So, as I said, we've uh, dealt with each of these phrases up to glorying in tribulations. And I like that verse 3, the way he begins that he says, and not only that, in other words, he knows he's said a mouthful so far on those first two verses. And he goes, and to add to that, not only that, we glory in tribulations. Now it's important to comprehend this, that the truths that are laid out there in those, those first few verses, they build on one another. And you have to have that in mind by the time you get to this phrase, glory in tribulations. That's a weighty phrase. That's not one you can just sort of, you know, read over and move on. It's a really important phrase. And it's preceded by the, the other phrases on purpose. And uh, so what he's doing is he's drawing us in. 
He's, he's a bit romancing our hearts. He says, you've been justified by faith. We talked about that. You've been proclaimed innocent. Innocent. Though we were yet sinners, we were proclaimed innocent before God by faith. He says, and not only that, you've got peace with God. You've been reconciled to God and you have peace with him. And then it's through Jesus that we have access by faith into grace. And we talked about how a lot of times we want to pull out of what God has called us to do because we don't feel the grace. And the truth of the matter is we access grace by faith. We step and we step into what God's called us to do and then we feel it. It's one of those. Most of the time we don't just get carried along. We have to actually step by faith and then grace begins to carry us. And it's that very grace that enables us to stand in our Christianity and then also rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And that's what we talked about last week. And it's essentially simply this. Rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God is rejoicing in whatever kind of life it is that God wants me to lead so long as it brings Him glory. Being abased or being a, 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 or abounding, either way, I want to rejoice through whatever it is the, the Lord has called me to do in my life. I want to hope that what I would do would actually bring the Lord glory. I want to rejoice in that hope. And then he says that phrase, and not only that, because rejoicing in hope of the glory of God, that's, I mean, honestly, beloved, that's a death sentence. That's death to your own ways, death to your own thoughts, death to your own kingdom, death to your flesh. But it's life in Christ. And then he adds, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Glory in tribulations. And it's because we know that we're proclaimed innocent, because we know we have peace with God, because we know we have access into grace by faith, that we can rejoice in hope of the glory of God and glory in tribulations. And I don't think, I know me personally, I've been saved like 20 years, and I, I've heard, I mean, just a handful of messages that talk about glorying in tribulations. And so I, I want to just kind of work through this. The, uh, the idea of glorying tribu in tribulations, it's a foreign idea to us. The, uh, the two words, the two primary words, glory and tribulation, let's just look at them for a minute. Let's look at tribulation first. It's a Greek term, appears 45 times in the New Testament. It's, it's, if you want to spell it, if you're taking notes, it's T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S, Philipsis. Philipsis. 45 times. And I just want to say this real clear. I've read every verse, slowly, in context, that uses this term, Philipsis. It's translated suffering, affliction, and tribulation, primarily. That's what it's translated in the New King James Version. There is not a hint of uh, the idea in, New, in the New Testament theology, there's not a hint of the idea that God wants to deliver us out of going through tribulations, stop us from having to go through them. Every single time 
this word is used, it's, uh, 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 let me say it differently. Many times the word is used, but never is it used to, to, to take us out of it. Many times it's used in the context of we persevere through tribulation. Not one time is it used where the, the Bible is trying to get us out of going through hardships, trials, afflictions, and sufferings. And I think that our primary mentality has been that you get saved and hardships stop. Jesus is our get out of jail free card, and we're so thankful for that. Once you, once you get saved, everything gets easy. And that's just not New Testament Christianity. It's just not. And so this word, tribulation, it's the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew 24. When he says, there shall be great tribulation like has never been seen on the earth. It's the same word that John uses in Revelation 1 verse 7. When he says, I, John, am your partner and companion in the tribulation. It's the same word that the elder that John sees that's sitting around the throne. The elder says, John, these are those that have come out of the tribulation. They've, they've been martyred in it and they're now out of it. This term tribulation, it's not something that in the New Testament we see that believers are getting delivered from having to go through. It's something that they go through and they come out shining with the glory of the Lord. I have to say that because if you want to preach truth, you've got to quit worrying about what men think. And that's simply the truth of what the scripture says. It really is clear. The New Testament is clear. God perfects the saints by going through trials, challenges, tribulations, and sufferings. That has got to become clear to Christians. So, that's that word. The other word, glory. That's the same word that's translated rejoice in verse 2. When it says in verse 2 that we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, the word rejoice is translated glory in verse 3, that we glory in tribulations. It should be the same word, rejoice, in both places. The NIV and the NAS both use it. They both translate it as rejoice. So the idea is we rejoice when we go through tribulations. We rejoice. The, the NAS actually says we exult when we go through it. The NIV says we rejoice when we go through it. Now, I, I, at this point is where I have to stop and I have to take a, a, a look in the mirror for myself. And I've just got to look at myself in the eye and go, okay, am I a person who rejoices when I'm going through sufferings, afflictions, trials, and tribulations? Am I? And I had to come to grips with the fact that the answer is no. I'm just not. But I believe this, very clearly, I believe this, that glorying in tribulations is the dream of God for the character that His people would have. That the people of God would have a character. They, they would have the version of Christianity in which they glory in tribulations. I believe that's the dream of God's heart. 
And I believe that glorying in tribulations is equivalent to, it's one of the facets that's equivalent to being conformed to the image of Christ. And so you can kind of say it this way, that the more that you're conformed to the image of Christ, the more that you will glory in tribulations. The less that you're conformed to the image of Christ, that shows you the variance between you and Jesus and the extent of the journey that you have into conformity. I believe this. God is not so much interested in your comfort. God is interested in how much you're conformed to the image of his son. (laughs) There you have it. So I looked up a bunch of different versions of the Bible. I won't even tell you which versions these are. These are a bunch. I have something like 30 or 40 on my computer. I just began to read through the verse and all the different versions. And it just painted a picture to me. Glory and tribulations. What is the, how does that phrase translate in the different versions? Well, it's translated glory and tribulations. It's, it's translated joy and troubles. That we gladly suffer. That we rejoice in our sufferings. We boast in our sufferings. One of the modern translations said that we brag in our sufferings. I just thought, take it a little too far there, bro. We glory in afflictions. We rejoice in afflictions. We exult in our tribulations. We are full of joy even when we suffer. We rejoice in our sufferings. We boast in the tribulations. And just answer the question for yourself. Does that sound mostly like, or does that sound like what we're mostly accustomed to understanding as what Christianity is about? Glorying in tribulation. Because I realize this, that we are so tuned in our, in our ears to hear those things that speak of our benefit and our blessing and and what we're going to get that's going to make us feel better, do better, act better, and be better. And most of that has nothing to do with going through trials, afflictions, and sufferings. What I realize is that this Bible is pretty much perpendicular to much of our mentality in Western Christianity. And I want to see Jesus receive, as, in his, as his inheritance, a people who would, like he did, rejoice in sufferings, rejoice through tribulations. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And all that you and I would be conformed to that same image. That's the dream of God's heart. To raise up a bride that's comparable to Christ. One that looks just like him in the end. And this is who we are to be in the path that God has called us on in Christ. That we would be ones conformed to his image. We would come out in the end looking just like Jesus. And I tell you one of the major facets is what Paul is enumerating here. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God and we rejoice in trials 
and afflictions and troubles. I realize this, that you can't rejoice in trials and afflictions and troubles unless you hope in the glory of God. Because if, if you're still wanting glory for you out of your life, if your desire is still for your own personal pleasure and benefit to be exalted to the highest measure, then I guarantee you, you will not be happy when you go through hardships. But if you have leveled it that regardless of what happens to me, I want Jesus glorified then and there. That is the prerequisite, that you would be able then to rejoice through suffering. I mean, really rejoice through suffering. Rejoice through affliction. Rejoice through tribulation. You don't care anymore whether you're receiving the glory. Your, your primary concern is that your life would glorify him. And what I think that our challenge is, is that because we are so earthly-minded and so focused in on getting our own benefits, that we put off the concept of what it means to be conformed to the image of Christ. We push that off, and we, we shudder at the idea of having to go through challenges. We have no palate for the reward of the age to come that's promised to those that persevere through tribulation, persevere through persecutions. And so instead of living a life that would glorify God in that measure, we end up by default living a life that glorifies ourselves. unfortunately. I realize that this isn't the kind of message that makes you run around and jump and shout. But it's the kind of message that we must feed on. We, I mean, I feel so strongly about this. We must feed on this so that the proper character of Christ would be formed in our hearts and not this shallow version of Christianity that as soon as a little bit of something comes, it's like the, the word that's shallow in the soil, and as soon as a little heat comes, it just wilts. No, that Jesus would have for himself the reward of his sufferings, a people who are conformed to his image, and a people that say yes, regardless of the trials and the challenges in which they, they, they traverse in life. So uh, I want you to turn over to 1 Peter. Peter is the New Testament theologian on suffering. I, I've often wondered what I did before when I'd read Peter because for a long time I didn't believe you're supposed to suffer. You know, I, I was of the, of the group that just said, no, suffering, that's all, you know, that's all the devil and, and God doesn't use that and God doesn't want you to suffer and, and all that. And, and I think, you know, the devil is God's devil and, and God is the one that doesn't waste, he doesn't waste a drop, you know. So is it the devil when you're suffering? Yeah, you need to rebuke the devil. Does God use it? Yeah, he'll conform you to the image of Christ. You have to live in the tension of that beauty, the beauty of that tension. We like to, we like to cut it apart and se- separate it and segment it out and say, okay, no, no. It's all, you know, bliss and blessing and living above the trials and challenges in this life. Well, the Bible says through many trials and tribulations, we enter the kingdom of God. So you can't separate it out. I mean, you can't say there are no challenges and no trials. And yes, the enemy, he will come against you. He will afflict you. And does God allow that at times? Absolutely. Does God give you the victory through that? Absolutely. 
Do, you know, it's it's do the do the uh, do the Hebrew children get thrown in the fiery furnace? Yes. Do they come out? Yes. And that's how it goes. We go through afflictions and we come out victorious. We come through them with Jesus victorious. And victorious equals more looking like him. Not necessarily more money in your 401k. So Peter, the New Testament theologian on suffering, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 12, He says this, Beloved, I'll wait till you get there. 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. Because when you're going through it, don't think that's bizarre, because that's normal. Don't act like this is unusual. This is usual. As though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. He goes, rejoice when you're going through suffering. Sounds just like Paul. He goes, and when Jesus' glory is revealed, you're going to be glad with exceeding joy. Look at verse 14. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. The spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. I believe this. I believe there is... I don't know exactly how to, to say it. I pray the Lord would give me the right language. But there is an accelerant that happens in the anointing and the authority that comes upon a believer when they go through sufferings. And it's because of this. When you go through sufferings, the spirit of glory comes on you. And oh, the glory of a believer whose faith has been tried and tested through the furnace of afflictions. And oh, the preciousness of that faith for one that's gone through the fire and they come out and they're unoffended in love. Have you ever met somebody and you think, how did you go through such a thing? How in the world did you go through that and you're still okay? You're, you're still all right in your heart. Like, how in the world? It's the spirit of glory that's resting upon them. And I believe this. The authority that we see in the Apostle Paul is connected to the amount of affliction that the Apostle Paul went through. The authority that we see him moving in is connected to the amount of trials and tribulations and challenges that he went through. It's the spirit of glory and of God resting upon the one who's suffering for the sake of Christ. On their part, on the part of those that are blaspheming, on their part, he is blasphemed. But on your part, he is glorified. He's glorified through the life. 
that loves wealth through tribulation, loves wealth through affliction. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. And I tell you, when Christians, when we go through sufferings and trials and challenges, when we go through afflictions, so often the enemy, the voice of the enemy wants to come and say, you know what, you are, it's your fault that you're going through this. You've done wrong and you are off and, and, and you need to be ashamed of yourself. And I'm not saying you need to be arrogant when you go through challenges, but I'm saying that there's this attack that would come against your mind when you're going through trials and, and it's, the, it's the, where are you, Lord? Maybe I've missed it. Maybe I've done wrong. Maybe I shouldn't be serving Jesus. Maybe I just need to quit being as radical. Beloved, I tell you, there's a time coming in the earth. Hear me real clearly. There's a time coming in the earth, and it is even now, but it's coming in a much greater measure. When to name the name of Christ will automatically make you ostracized from the mainstream of society. And it's in that day when affiliating yourself with Jesus makes you an offscoring of the world. It's in that day when your faith will be tried and the Lord says, do not be ashamed of the suffering that comes to you in that time. But he goes, rejoice, rejoice and glorify God. Let your life be a beacon of light that speaks of the glory of God in a human vessel. What does it look like that God's glory would be in a frame of dust? Oh, that we would walk through trials and challenges alive and in love. Unoffended in heart. Unoffended in heart. It just begs the question. Again, myself staring in the mirror. When I go through a trial... How often am I offended? When somebody's doing me wrong, when they're lying about me or or just not treating me with a good attitude, how often am I offended? How about when things don't go well for me? Perhaps I'm momentarily suffering lack or or just even a, a, a minor challenge in relationships. And then how often do I begin to take my finger and point it at the Lord and say, why are you letting me go through this? You're God. You could snap your fingers and fix everything. And he says, don't you know, there's glory. There's glory if you'll traverse the trial. Unoffended. Unoffended, beloved. And how often have we been taken down because of offense? And all he desires a bride that would love him through it all without offense. And so I say, oh God, make me one. Make me one, really. I would truly glory in tribulations. Because I recognize the... Uh, the lack in my own life. I recognize my inability to be happy when I go through even a little speed bump of suffering. 
most of us in the West, we haven't really suffered like they've suffered in other countries. Now, many of us have gone through uh, challenging life situations and, and have experienced different sufferings, but not in the way that the rest of the world have, in lack and in poverty. But there's many of us that we've only ever had what I would say is a speed bump of suffering. And I just look at my own life and I go, how offended I get when I have even the speed bump. You know, to glory in tribulations, it means so much has happened to you. That if you're able to glory in tribulations, it means transformation has happened in your heart. The untransformed one cannot glory in tribulations. But the one who can glory in tribulations, it means many things have happened. Number one, it means your motives changed. It means you're no longer seeking your own glory, but you're truly seeking the glory of God. It also means you've died, yet Christ lives in you. For I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not I, but Christ living in me. It means you've embraced the love of God as the great reward of this life. See, if truly God's love is our greatest reward, who cares what we get to go, what we have to go through? I I get your love, I get to flow in love with you. It's It's what Paul said in Romans 8. He goes, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor things present, nor things to come. And he goes on, angels, demons, height, depth, anything should be, should be able to separate us from the love of, of Christ. But earlier he says this, what shall separate you? Shall tribulation, the same word. The answer is no. It means you trust. If you're able to glory in tribulations, it means you trust. Because it means you believe he's benevolent. It means you believe ultimately he's good. He's going to see me through. He's faithful. He's good. He's kind. And I'm going to get through this because of him. And all to have that quality of character, that quality of soul, to actually glory in tribulations. It's foreign to our concepts in the West. We love to avoid tribulation at all costs. We tend to believe those that are suffering tribulation, they lack faith. We try to teach and and twist the scriptures to explain away the entire uh, concept of suffering and the will of God. And ultimately, many times we're so shallow that we can't even uh, conceive of the benefit of trials and sufferings. I want to read a few verses to you to establish this idea. They're all out of First Peter. You can just flip to them as I'm reading them. First Peter 3, verse 17. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for evil. Peter clearly makes a, a point there that in the will of God there is suffering. Verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Chapter 4, verse 1. 
Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Oh, what a good verse. He who suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he should no longer live for his own lusts, but for the will of God. Oh, that's our phrases, that we would rejoice in hope of the glory of God, and not only that, but we would rejoice in tribulation. Chapter 4, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. He goes, when you suffer in the will of God, commit yourself to him. I don't know what your sufferings entail. I don't know what they are. I know mine have been minimal, but I know this. My propensity to complain in the midst of them, it's horrifying. The idea that, I mean, I get a stubbed toe and I'm like, God, why did you put the furniture there? I mean, it's just, it's bad. It's not New Testament Christianity, beloved. See, that, that's what's got me motivated right now is I'm looking at the Bible and I look at how we live and I go, oh, they're so different. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean that if our version of Christianity doesn't look anything like the Bible version of Christianity, it makes me ask the question, is our Christianity Bible Christianity at all? Seems like a reasonable question to ask. If, if I said, this is a dog, but it had scales, fins, a tail, and it could breathe underwater, would any of you believe it's a dog? You would? <laughs> I know. You're amening. I get it. If I said, this is a dog, but it looked just like a fish, there's no way you'd believe it's a dog. That's why I look at our Christianity and our version in, in the West, and I go, oh, it doesn't look like what the Bible says Christianity is. What is it? Atlanta needs a break-in of true Christianity, a break-in of true Spirit-led, Holy Spirit revival and Christianity to sweep Atlanta. This city needs the real stuff. The truth. We need the true stuff. Man, if the Bible, if I read the Bible and it doesn't make me feel good, good. I don't need to feel good. I need to feel like whatever the Bible makes me feel like. Because I, I, I need to line up with it, not demand it to line up with me. First Peter 2, let's look at that. Verse 19, for this is commendable. If because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten, that's the type of grief he's talking about. 
For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, in other words, when you do good and you're beaten, if you take it patiently, this is commendable commendable before God. In other words, Peter says this, if you do wrong and you get beaten for it, he goes, yeah, you're supposed to take that patiently. If you do wrong and you're beaten for it, you're supposed to take that patiently. But if you do good and you're beaten for it, because that's actually commendable before God. In other words, it, it obtains favor with the Lord. Verse 21, look at that. For to this you were called. Notice that. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that you should follow in his footsteps. That's the Bible, right? Let me flip over to Philippians. One more. Chapter 1. Look at Paul's language here. Verse 29. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Look at the language. To you, it has been granted. God says, son, daughter, I want to give you a gift. You go, yes, Lord. He goes, oh, I want to grant something to you. You go, thank you, Jesus. He goes, okay, suffer for me. Uh, But I want a gift. He goes, I'm giving it to you. I'm granting to you the gift of suffering for my sake. And Paul says it this way having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. You want to read Paul's conflicts. There's four New Testament chapters that enumerate them one after another after another. They talk about prisons, beatings, uh, shipwrecks, being stoned and left for dead, being considered the offscoring of the world. Beloved, this is Christianity. I don't know how much of a palate we actually have for Christian. Now here's the thing, and I want to I land with this thought, because this is not a side issue. This is not something where you can just go, well, we're in the United States, you know, it's not going to affect us. The book of Romans is really, really um, intentional, the way that Paul writes it. He's really an amazing communicator. As I've told it and explained it in previous sessions, he's actually writing to bring together the church in Rome because there's a schism between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Gentiles, the Romans, they are not wanting the Jews to be a part of the fellowship anymore. They had been, the Jews had been kicked out of of Rome by the emperor Claudius, and then they were let back in several years later by Nero, and now they're having a hard time getting back into the fellowship because the Gentiles, the, the Roman believers, they didn't want them back. And so Paul is writing a letter to the church at Rome. It's a, re- it's a letter of racial reconciliation is what it is. It's, a, it's so brilliant. And what he does is he builds the themes throughout the book. And the book culminates in chapter 11. That's actually where the book crescendos is chapter 11. So what does he do? He gives us the first few chapters. 
and he consigns everybody under sin, and he explains that justification is by faith. He says, anybody who believes, Jew or Greek, you can be justified through Jesus. And in Romans 5, he gives us the summary of that. He explains the love of God, and he moves on. And he begins to talk about freedom in, in the spirit and living by the spirit versus living by the flesh in 6, 7, and 8. And then in chapter 9, he begins to describe the plight of the Jews and their, their, uh, their destiny in God, their, the, the calling that God's given to Israel. He begins to lay that out in chapter 9, chapter 10, and in chapter 11. And in chapter 12, he gives us how we then, as Gentile believers, ought to live in light of God's plan for the, the Jewish nation that he's just laid out in chapter 9, 10, and 11. And so the themes build on one another. One of the key themes is justification by faith. Another one of the key themes is conformity to the image of Christ. These are key themes. And so what we see then is this idea of justification enables you to glory and tribulation, which is what we're talking about, and glory and tribulation is, I think, almost another, just another name for being conformed to the image of Christ. Does that make sense? And so he says, you are justified, you're proclaimed innocent. He goes, hope in God's glory. He goes, glory and rejoice in tribulations unto being one that's really conformed to the image of Christ because this is what you're predestined to be in Romans 8. Then he goes on, and in Romans 9, he describes the Jews and what their calling is in God and how they've been hardened, and he explains it in 10 and 11. And in 11, he says, some of them have been broken off that you might be grafted in, and he's rebuking the Roman church. He says, don't be haughty against them in Romans 11. And then he says this, but that they might become jealous God has saved you Gentiles to provoke them to jealousy. And he basically goes on and, on and he says it like this. He goes, if you can handle it, and in verse 11, uh, uh, chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, basically goes, if you can handle it, at the end, all Israel's going to be saved. Now, he's not talking about every Jew that's died. He's talking about all the Jews that are going to be alive on the planet at the end of the age. He actually brings us to the culmination of God seeing through to Israel's full salvation. And he's saying this is essential, church at Rome, that you don't get haughty because if you're haughty against them, God will break you off and graft them back in. Now here's the thing. There is a divine provoking of the Jews that's going to come at the end of the age. Romans eleven twenty six 26 says, all Israel shall be saved. Stay with me. All Israel shall be saved. He tells us in Romans eleven eleven and 14, he says, the way that that's going to happen is they are going to be provoked to jealousy by Gentile believers. Here's how it works. This is why this is so important. This is why glorying and rejoicing in tribulations is so essential. Because anybody who's ever been through a tribulation or a trial and they came out unoffended and rejoicing that they were bettered through it has always been a testimony to everybody that watched it. Everybody around them went, how did you go through that? And they say something like, Jesus and Jesus alone. And you go, man, God's good. 
Well, here's what it is, beloved. You and I are called to hope in the glory of God. Whatever life you want me to lead, I want to lead it. And not only that, but to rejoice in tribulations. Why? Because he's conforming us to the image of Christ. What's going to happen? At the end of the age, all the Jews are going to be saved. How? They're going to be provoked to jealousy. By who? Gentiles. That what? Bear the image of Christ. How is it that they're going to bear the image of Christ? Rejoicing through tribulations. This isn't a side issue. You know what I realize? There's not a lot of provoking to jealousy going on right now. You know why? There's not a lot of conformity to Christ and there's not a lot of rejoicing in tribulations. And I say thank God for the Chinese because God has raised up a people in China who are rejoicing in tribulation and their whole goal, do you know what their whole goal is? To go and take the gospel through the 1040 window and go to Jerusalem with it. Their whole goal is to lay their lives down as martyrs through the 1040 window. What are they wanting to do? Be conformed to the image of Christ. A people rejoicing in tribulation is the kind of people that will provoke the Jews to jealousy at the end of the age. And I tell you this, beloved, the New Testament does not give believers the escape hatch. It gives believers the grace to stand in through the tribulation unto a great provoking in the full salvation of Israel. That is our destiny. I wonder how far off the target of that we are because we have no palate for rejoicing in suffering and glorying in tribulation. Oh, that we'd be a people that are moved over the truth of our innocence and are touched over the greatness of what it means to be reconciled, but who also hope in the glory of God and rejoice in tribulation. Because there's a bigger thing going on. Am I communicating? And all that the apostolic mentality of tribulation would be restored to the church, that it would be restored to us, that we would have the same mentality that the apostles had in the first century, that we would live as people conformed to the image of Christ, and that when we go through tribulation, we would say what they said in that day. Look at Acts 5. It's about to come up on your screen. Acts 5, verse 40. After they'd been arrested multiple times, They'd been threatened. They'd been beaten mercilessly. And the elders and the Pharisees, says, and when they called for the apostles and had beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. 
Verse 41. So they, the apostles, departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were worthy, they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Beloved, that's Christianity. Rejoicing. They were counted worthy. To suffer shame for Jesus. That's what I want. I want that version right there. I don't want the inch deep version that makes me feel good. I want the version that conforms me, presses me into the mold. The mold of the one who's perfect. Amen. Let's just stand. Jesus. Lord, we we honestly, we don't really even know what this looks like. But we need understanding and grace to be able to stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You alone would be glorified through us by life or by death. And not only that, that we would be a people who rejoice. We could be counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Come, Holy Spirit. Want a glory in tribulations? I want a glory in tribulation. I want to rejoice in tribulations, just like Jesus. you like me find a disparity between the faith that you ascribe to and the faith that the Bible identifies as authentic I want to call you to ask the Lord to conform you to the image of his son that we could be ones that reflect the splendor of his majesty because the character of God is so formed within us that we actually rejoice when suffering. I want to call you to ask the Lord to conform you to the image of Jesus truthfully to inspect your life that all that's not like him would fade and fall to the sides that only Christ would remain 
for I've been crucified with Christ. That that phrase would be true. If you'd say with me, Billy, I, I need that. I need to be conformed to the image of Christ. There's so much disparity between who I am and who he is. And I need grace that I would be one that would rejoice in the hope of his glory over my own. And that I would be one that would rejoice even through tribulations. God wants to make you one that would be a a, a provoking instrument to a nation that's gone wayward that he chose before time began. If you'd say, Billy, I need grace to be conformed to the image of Jesus, I want to invite you forward. I want us together to ask God, mark us with these truths. Oh, there's a day of tribulation coming, beloved. The predominant theme has been, you'll get out of it. And I tell you, God will not give you the escape hatch. He will purify you through it. And He will glorify His Son through it. And He will provoke the nation of Israel through it. And the glory of God that will rest upon His people will be a great instrument of provoking to an atheistic nation that the Lord beloves. upon the church today in our future beloved today before us beloved these things are of essential value Jesus we ask for grace this holy moment God we confess our lack we confess our need you God wipe away the contradiction and the disparity in our lives conform us to the image of your son Jesus